Have you ever received news that has turned your world upside down? I think you probably have. Most of us have at some point in our lives, whether it's personal news, news about your immediate family or friends, or whether it's something big that's happened globally. Also, people look back at uh, 2001, the terrorist attacks on the Twin Towers in America, and see that as a moment, as an event, as news, which changed the entire global landscape. How do you respond when news comes that changes everything, that makes the world that you wake up to on a Tuesday utterly different to the world that you woke up to on a Monday? For some people, for some sorts of news, they'll embrace it. They'll run with it. They love the fact that they're entering a new world and it's it's invigorating. While for others of us and for certain types of news, it's something that we want to reject, that we want to rage against and push back against in order to preserve what was before. Things happen, news comes, and whether we like it or not very often, life, our existence, how we see and live in the world will never be the same again. Well, we're in Acts chapter 17 this morning. We're going to be reading from the first 15 verses. And it's the continuing story of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and others journeying far and wide, now into, into Europe with the life-changing message that Jesus has come, Jesus has lived, Jesus has died and Jesus has risen to life again. In the story, we're going to see that people accuse them of being folks who are turning the world upside down. And hopefully we're going to ask the question of whether that's really right. And whether Jesus really has turned our lives upside down. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. After they passed through Ampophilus and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue, and as usual, Peter went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, three weeks on the trot, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah, the rescuer, the saviour, to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, Paul proclaims, this Jesus that I am sharing with you is that Messiah. Now, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. And included in that number were a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But some of the Jews became jealous. And they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob and they started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them there to bring them out to the public assembly. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city officials and they shouted these accusations. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has welcomed them. They're all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king and his name is Jesus. The crowd and the city officials who heard these things were upset. And after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. 
the people there were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, including a large number of prominent Greek women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they travelled there, they came there too. They agitated and upset the crowds there too. So then the brothers and sisters immediately sent Paul away to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed on there. And those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and after receiving instructions for Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. As we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, Paul's mission going into new territory, going into a new land, going into Europe. Last week in Philippi um, and encountering people who really hadn't encountered much of the living God before. There was no synagogue there. He had to go outside of the town to a place where he presumed some God-fearers might be gathering. And he was right. He shared the message of uh, hope of Jesus with Lydia and and then later in the life of this slave girl and then later still in the the life and the household and the family of the jailer and everywhere they are going sharing Jesus and seeing people transformed. So in Thessalonica they arrive there's been a little bit more exposure to Judaism the, the Jews have settled there there is a synagogue there so he goes in and he reasons with them. He helps them to see from their own scriptures how the Messiah, the rescuer, was going to be one who not only came to, to lead them into freedom, but would do that through living and suffering and dying and rising to life again. And more than just having that as a concept, saying it's already happened, the new world has already begun because of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, some people respond wonderfully to that. The news that changes everything for them is something to be embraced. They'd woken up that morning and they were still waiting for the Messiah. Now here is Paul saying the Messiah is come and you can be a part of his kingdom. It's great news and they embrace it. But for others, it's hard news. It's a pill that they're unwilling to swallow. It's, a, it's, it's news which for some reason causes them to be jealous and actually provokes them to start a riot. They go searching for Paul and for Silas. They want them to be dragged out before the courts to, to face a punishment for what they're doing. They can't find them, but yet the charge still comes out. These men who have turned the world upside down now proclaim that there is another king other than Caesar and his name is Jesus. I think actually Paul would have been pretty happy with that as a review of his ministry, wouldn't it? I think most of us, when we're trying to share something to make a difference, we'd be quite happy to be told that we're turning the world upside down. And in a sense, they have been. These last few stories in chapter 16 in Philippi show how such varied people can be utterly transformed. How people who were confined and oppressed, who, who, as John put it last week, weren't even control, in control of their own lives, let alone their own faculties, how, how he's 
utterly changing their lives. Their lives are turned upside down and it is utterly for the good. But there's another sense in which what they're saying is nonsense, isn't it? There's no threat to the Roman Empire. Dozens here, tens elsewhere, coming to quietly find faith in Jesus, to love him, to follow him, to obey him, to pray for those in authority over them, as Paul and Peter will teach Christians later on. There's no threat to the world in that sense. But yet these folks, with their accusations, are speaking more than they know. They're speaking more than they know really in their own lives because the message that Paul was bringing really was for them about turning their entire world upside down. Remember, we're in a synagogue or we're in a place where people are waiting for this Messiah, this rescuer, this one who is going to come and put everything right. And their expectation, as it had been throughout the Gospels, was for a great military leader, wasn't it? It was for someone to come up and to galvanize and to lead the people in an uprising, in a rebellion against the Roman boot that was on their neck to overthrow them and restore the nation back to its former glory. That's what they were expecting. That's what they were desiring in their hearts of hearts. But now here comes Paul with an utterly different message, saying that the rescuer had already come not future tense, past tense, but he was one who suffered, one who died, it looks very much like loss rather than victory, and calls us to follow along after him on that path of suffering and even death as we walk the road to glory with him. How utterly upside down is the idea of life coming to us through death? They spoke more than they knew when they made this accusation because Jesus really is one who turns it all around. We go through life and one of the only things that we're certain of is that death waits for us all. And most people see death as the end. But the message of Jesus which Paul proclaimed not wanting to overthrow governments or anything like that, but overthrowing how we see ourselves and our lives and the world we live in, is this, that death is not the end. That there is life for us beyond death and through death. How about this for the message of Jesus turning all around? Forget Caesar with his taxes and with his laws and with his army. Most of us live our lives as if we're the king. As if we're the ones who decide what's right and wrong, what's black and what's white. But the message of Jesus turns that all upside down, declares to us that we are not the king. And our king instead is the one who is truly good. The one who is truly fair. The one who is truly wise. In their context, the emperor was near enough a god that he was someone that needed to be kept happy, that his decisions were perfection in themselves. The message of Jesus comes along and says that that view of the world is utterly wrong, that there isn't that person that we must turn to or listen to, 
There is just Jesus. And so it begs the question for them, it begs the question for us as well, has your life been turned upside down by Jesus? Now perhaps you are someone who has never particularly considered the claims of Christianity. You're not someone who has particularly encountered Jesus. Perhaps you're someone who hasn't responded to Jesus in repentance and faith as spoken about in the rest of the book of Acts. And it's worth asking the question now, is the good news that Jesus has come to change everything actually good news for you? Remember at the start, I said that there's some news, life-changing, world-upside-downing news, that's bad, it's sad, it's terrible, and you want to fight against it. Whereas there are some aspects of change that comes that we're thrilled with, that life will never be the same, and we want to embrace it. Do you think the good news about Jesus falls into the former or the latter? Is it terrible news that you need to reject at all costs? Or is it something that is good for you, that is good for me, that is good for our world? And one of the ways you might sort of unpack that and assess that is just to ask the question of how is life at the moment the, the way up that you've got it? Is life all that it's cracked up to do to be? Are you happy? Are you fulfilled? Are you safe? Are you secure? Uh, do you know joy? Do you have hope? Do you have certainty? My guess is for most of us, we can glimpse that, we can taste that, we can have it for a moment, but we know life in a world where it can all be taken away in an instant. I don't think life in our world, as our culture and our society, as our prevailing wisdom understands it, is particularly something that we should want to preserve. Life is hard. Life is painful. Whether it's on the news or it's around the dinner table, it's filled so often with sadness and hardship and that which we love being taken away. I put it to you that if the news of Jesus is life-changing news, if it turns the world upside down, then all of us should want to be people that embrace it. Because life, the way that we experience it at the moment, is clearly the wrong way around. You might have noticed, actually, on the shelves behind me, some of these things are upside down. And that's a picture, I think, of what life is like without Jesus. It makes no sense. The, the writing is garbled. You couldn't pick up this book and read it. You'd have to open it the wrong way. But when Jesus comes in, he doesn't just, just transform and change everything. He makes everything the right way up again. Life with Jesus, knowing that suffering is the way to glory, that life can come through his death, that he is king, not us, that he is God, not Caesar, these are wonderful things. This, Jesus said, he has come to do, to restore, to renew, to put right that which had gone wrong. When Jesus turns worlds upside down, he's turning it the right way up once again. So I ask you the question this morning, of what you know of Jesus, of our rebellion against God, of our sin, of, of the distance that exists, of the inevitability of 
death and the finality of death for us. What you know about Jesus and how he has come to rescue, how he has come to restore, how he has come to forgive, how he has given his own life and death and defeated death by rising to life again. Is that good news to embrace or to keep on rejecting and putting to arm's length? I think if we've got rational minds about it, it'll be that news which puts things as they're supposed to be, that our worlds need turning upside down by Jesus. But I know the majority of people watching along this morning won't be folks who are thinking about whether the world needs turning upside down or not. I know the majority of folks who, who tune in are people who have trusted in Jesus, who have embraced the good news, the, the life, the salvation that is often on offer so freely through him. And my question for us then this morning is, well, having had our lives turned upside down by Jesus, do they actually end up looking any different? Do our lives look different? Do we live in this world which has been changed utterly by Jesus? Do we live any different than anyone who hasn't responded to Jesus? Are our words, are our thoughts, are our actions any different? You can look at that in two ways as well. The things that we abstain from is what we normally focus on. Well, because I've become a Christian, I shall no longer drink too much. Because I've become a Christian, I shall no longer swear. Because I've become a Christian, um, you, you know, I, I'll wait until I'm married to be intimate with that person. So on and so forth. Things that we that we sort of take away because we've come to Jesus and we realise we don't need those things anymore in our lives. But what about the other side? The other side of because things have been put right, we get to live life in the way that Jesus lived it. We get to live life in the way that John met Jesus promised and demonstrated. We get to love one another. We get to be patient. We get to be self-controlled and so on. I wonder how different our lives really look in the end having been turned upside down. I tell you, there is warning in the scriptures for those of us who have cast away sin on Jesus but haven't really had him come into our lives. Jesus told a parable of a man that was freed from a, a wicked spirit and he said this, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest, but it doesn't find rest. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives and it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order, having put off so many things, then it goes. And it takes with it seven other spirits, even more wicked than itself. And they go and they live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. And this is how it will be with a wicked generation. A wicked generation who, in a sense, pretends to follow Jesus. Who pays lip service to following Jesus. Who abstains from certain ills, but never really embraces the life that Jesus comes to give. We will be in a worse state than we were before. Christ in us, brothers and sisters, is supposed to be the birth of new desires, not just the death of old ones. Our lives have been turned upside down. Can we give you two illustrations? First one is 
if you know the car park. The car park between uh, Wilkinson's and Home Bargains. I call it the Summerfield car park. There hasn't been a Summerfield in Ammonford for decades. Now, last year or the year before, the council did an awful lot of work. Digging up, relaying bricks, putting fresh topsoil, planting certain grasses and things like that in that area. It was great. Taking away all of the old uh, weeds, all of the broken uh, bricks and paving slabs and things like that and making it look smart again. But I remember thinking at the time, one of the strange things is that there were just big patches between what they planted of soil. Just soil that had been dug up and dug out and turned over and put back. I remember thinking that unless they put something there deliberately, all that's going to happen is that it's going to get filled up with weeds and it's going to end up looking worse than it did before they started. Now, this isn't a rant against the council and how they can't manage the money that we give them and their projects are always doomed to fail. But <laughs> I walked through the car park this week and I wasn't amazed to see that these spaces, these places that they tidied up, that they cleared out those years ago, were now once again just filled with weeds, that they looked worse now in comparison to the new pave work than they did beforehand. Because they hadn't done anything with the space that was created, they were in a worse start than they had been, than they had ever been. That's a slightly silly example, but let me give you another example. From last week, as a church, we had that day together of prayer and fasting. And I know a number of people joined me in fasting on St. David's Day. But we've always, I think, considered fasting just to be the putting off of certain things. Jesus taught us that we should fast, that we should go without food for prolonged periods of time. But it's interesting that as soon as Jesus had finished speaking about fasting, he taught his disciples about prayer. Because it's not simply a question of what we abstain from, what we put off, but what we fill our time with, what we fill our attention with. Now, there's a chance that during a fast, during the meal times, you will have taken those opportunities to, to read the Bible, to pray more, to seek God, to treasure God, to praise God. Or there's a chance that in that lunch hour that you were going to take anyway, instead of queuing for food and eating food and tidying your food away, you just spent an hour on Facebook or Instagram, scrolling, vegetating, uh, filling your mind with nonsense and lies. And that's a sad situation, really, when you think about it, isn't it? That something has been put off because of Jesus, and yet you've not filled it with Jesus. You've just filled it with emptiness and the world. And you're in a worse state at the end of the day for having done that than if you'd have just carried on and eaten your lunch as you normally would have. Brothers and sisters, here's the challenge for us when these folks who don't want Jesus, but they nail the message when they say it's something that turns the world upside down. The challenge for us is, have our lives really been changed? Are we being transformed from one degree of glory to the next? Are we being remade by God's Spirit into the likeness of Jesus? Tend the soil of your life 
water it nurture the fruit of the spirit don't just be getting rid of weeds but be planting in your life christ-likeness wherever you can find it so there are these people and they don't want their world to be turned upside down they're happy paying lip service to caesar waiting along happily for this um, military leader but other people they embrace it from all different walks of life they want their lives to be utterly changed sadly those who don't want their lives to be changed run paul and silas out of town and so they move on to the next town to a place called berea and again i think that there's a lesson for us in how these people respond let me just point out make a couple of differences in thessalonica it says that paul went and reasoned with them three sabbath days running three saturdays weeks apart paul took the opportunity to share jesus whereas in berea it says that they searched the scripture daily it seems to me that these are people who actually want to know the truth that these are a people who want to want to see and to test they're desperate they're not happy to wait until the next sabbath day for paul to come back they invite him back on the sunday and the monday and the tuesday because they want to know more about jesus and they want to know more and they have this view of god's word as something which is trustworthy something that is dependable something that is more true than what paul himself has to say they test what he says against the scripture so let me ask us the question then this morning do we do we desire to grow peter encouraged the church to be like infants craving spiritual milk crying out if they don't get it we've just we've just switched our cat over from dry cat food to wet cat food that is needs to be measured out I don't know why he seemed happy enough beforehand but anyway the change has been made and now when I get out of bed every morning he's there he's crying he's calling out for the food for me to put it there because I haven't left him biscuits overnight the Bereans and we are supposed to be people who are desperate not satisfied to put off until next Sunday not satisfied to to go along on a Wednesday night to a rooted group and to be spoon-fed by a leader but people who want to get into God's word to grapple with God's word so that we can test it that we can find out what is truly true and they they don't just want people who can persuade them with clever arguments they want God's truth that's why they go to the scriptures jesus spoke of the bible in this way didn't he to a certain group he says that you search the scriptures believing that in them you will find life and yet they are the very scriptures which testify towards me brothers and sisters are we people who go here to find jesus are we people who go here to help us understand and nav- navigate our world are we people who go here to make sure that when our lives have been turned upside down by Jesus that we actually live differently as a result we've all had news in recent years which has turned our world upside down 
And I wonder how differently we have lived through it because of Jesus, because of the hope that we have in him. We would do well to learn that lesson from the Bereans and to be a people who see the goodness in this life changing news, in this world turning upside down news, but want to pursue truth. Who want to, to, to know that it's not just fancy lights and fairy tales, but it's true and it's from God. Who are desperate day by day to grow in how they understand themselves and their existence. Who want to know Jesus. Who want to have life. Who want to live differently because they're not satisfied with living the way that they are. Brothers and sisters, are we that desperate? I worry sometimes that we're not. That we're happy just coasting along. That we're happy going from one week to the next, being drip-fed tiny little morsels. That we'll take a promise verse, we'll put it on a mug, and that'll be our um, avenue of growth and hope and sustenance forever and a day. The Bereans at least challenge us, ask the question of us, do we want this truth? Are we willing to work to, to find this truth, to get this truth deep in us, to plant it in the soils of our lives, to make sure that no weeds can grow up, but just the fruit of the spirit that comes from being found in Christ? It's good news. It turns our lives, not just upside down, but the right way up. It should change absolutely everything for us. And how do we grow in it? By being a people who want to hear God's voice, who want to know the truth, and who want to be transformed. Dear God, we thank you that the message of Jesus isn't bad news, that the message of Jesus isn't indifferent news. It is great, it is glorious, it is good news. It's news that each and every one of us needs. Lord, I pray that we would see it as such. That life without Jesus, we would see it for the hollowness, the emptiness, the sadness that it truly is. Lord, give us a passion for you. Give us a passion for walking and talking and living like Jesus. Help us to understand your word, to regard your word as truth, and to become more and more like him because... That should be our deepest desire. Help us to encourage each other along these ways. By your spirit be at work, renewing us, shaping our minds and our hearts. And in all things, Lord God, we pray that you would be glorified. As more and more people live lives that are utterly transformed because of what the Son has done. 